The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'm filling in for Beth Heaton, the regular host. Now on to today. For our third segment, Shannon Vesconcelos, college finance consultant here at College Coach and former senior financial aid officer at Tufts, will be discussing scholarships for seniors with deadlines in February and March. So listen in. It's not too late. Um, but for my first two segments, I'll be spending a lot of time talking about transferring. In my conversations with parents who are concerned about money or who have students who aren't the strongest academically, I'm getting a lot of questions about when it makes more sense to attend a community college rather than a four-year university. My second guest, Emily Toffelmeyer, college coach, educational consultant, and former admissions officer at USC, will be discussing that with me. In addition, today we're in luck because we have a guest expert, John Fink, a research associate at the Community College Research Center of Columbia University, where he researches community college student transfer patterns and outcomes on national and state levels. In other words, if you attend a community college, what does it take to be successful? He's going to help us answer that question. And previous to his work at Columbia, he advised transfer students at the University of Maryland. He'll be giving us his best advice on how transfers can be successful. His in-depth knowledge on the subject of transfers will also inform my discussion with Emily on how to choose your path between a four-year or a two-year institution, though we'll largely also be drawing uh, from our own experience working with transfers in a, as an admission officers at four-year institutions. So welcome, John. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's start this conversation from the point of view of the student who has decided to attend a community college. So this student knows their plan is a four-year not-for-profit community college. Um, you know, I was looking at the, um, at the website for your institute, and unfortunately the statistics for students transferring to a four-year college are not great overall. Um, from a study that I think you are involved in, while 81% of those who begin at a community college plan to transfer only 33% actually do so within six years, I think, was the data. Um, right. Is that correct? Yeah, okay. so uh, much fewer students are successful in transferring and then earning a bachelor's degree than that seek to get a, a bachelor's degree. Um, and it's really unfortunate because starting at a community college is a really great option for many people. They're usually the local schools. They're cheaper. Um, they offer great education a lot of times, smaller class sizes, and students really want to get those bachelor's degrees more and more. Those are the sort of degrees you need for the higher-paying jobs. And so a lot of the work we're doing is helping students, um, and mostly uh, colleges and universities do a better job uh, getting students to successfully transfer and complete their degrees. Okay, great. And that's clearly incredibly important work since community college is an option for a lot of students who don't have other options as well. Um, right. But so, so let's kind of get into the nitty-gritty. I mean, what, you know, if there's a student listening to me today, and I'll tell you, it's, I think it's more parents than students, but, you know, hope maybe some of those parents mm -hmm. will make their students listen to this, which would be good. Mm -hmm. um, what are the best ways for students to ensure their success in transferring? Um, let's start with that, and then I also want to address doing well once they're a student at a four-year college. Sure. Sure. So um, what we've found is that there's incredible variation in how well colleges are set up to partner with each other to support transfer students. So the piece of advice I'd give to students is just to figure out, are you at a college that is doing this pretty well, um, or are you going to have to kind of navigate 
the process um, by yourself and kind of find the resources you need to you need to find to be successful. Um, so a big one of the big issues in transferring. I mean, it's a huge logistical um, challenge for students, but one of the the most uh, the one with kind of the highest stakes is the whole credit transfer. And um, students are often asking, um, will my credits transfer from the community college to this four-year uh, school that I want to go to? And that's a good question, but it's not the right question they should be asking. They should be asking, will my credits that I take at this community college apply towards my bachelor's degree at a particular four-year institution that I want to transfer to. And it seems like a similar question, but it's two very different things, and this is one of the big uh, barriers, things to avoid for transfer students, is make sure that your credits don't just transfer, but that they count towards your degree, and they aren't just counted as elective credits when you get to the four-year college. Um, and then, you know, if, the, if those electives aren't counting towards your degree, you've got to take more classes, and that's more time and money. So that would be, I think, probably my biggest advice is ask if the credits are going to count, not if they're just going to transfer. Yeah, actually, it's interesting. I was helping a, a young man who um, uh, decided he didn't want to stay at his first institution, so he was taking classes at the local Norwalk Community College, and I was trying to help him what might figure, what might transfer to Penn State, which was his eventual goal. And I said, well, it depends on your major, and it depends. And I took him through the website, and he basically said, so I don't really know until I know what my major's going to be, if right. it'll work. And I said, well, we can, we can try and make sure that it works for, um, you know, we can try and make sure that it works for general education credits as well. But, yeah, yeah. you do want to try and figure out your major as soon as possible. Right. So that's, that's, another, that's a key question. So if you want to, you know, choose the right classes at the community college, you need to know a couple of things. First, you need to know or have an idea of where you want to transfer, what school, and what you want to major in, or at least the general area. And then, and then you have to figure out uh, what, you know, what is that college or university going to say is going to accept into that program and count towards prerequisites um, to make sure that you're going to be able to take uh, major courses. Um, so those are, you know, really important things to figure out. I think Oftentimes when students or if they go talk to advisors, when you don't have clear um, answers to those questions, the, the solution or at least the, the temporary solution is to just kind of take general classes, um, kind of take care of your basics at the community college. And what we're finding is that that can work, but only to a point. There is a, a point at which you're take, you take too many basic classes and then the, all of those 100 level introductory courses, you kind of have more than you need and when you tr try to tr transfer them and have them count towards your bachelor's degree, they're just counted as electives, and you have to retake classes um, to get your bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. So probably, I mean, do you think that for the first year um, it's okay if a student is undecided, but at that point they should really be zeroing in on some kind of a decision of, of a possible major? Yeah, I think that's fair uh, to say, although with one caveat is that, there, the big, uh, big question of this is which math courses to take. Um, mm. And figuring out which math to take in the first year, I think it has to do with your major um, and your bachelor's degree that you're intending. Uh, the good news is you don't have to totally decide what major you need. You just kind of might have to know a general idea, like is the major I'm wanting at a four-year degree going to require pre-calculus and calculus? Or is it going to be more um, algebra? Or can I, can I just uh, take statistics or quantitative reasoning? Um, and will that work for the major? So there's different types of majors, like STEM, more STEM-focused majors or business versus liberal arts or humanities. And if, you can, if the student you know, can at least figure out generally um, what they're interested in, it can help them with the math question in that first year, which is really important for transfer. Mm -hmm. So math is... Yeah, actually, it's it's interesting that you say that because that's really what I was sitting down with him. He wanted to take math anyway, and of the two majors he was thinking about at that stage, it might have been statistics or it might have been uh, pre-calculus for him. He right. wasn't ready for calculus yet. So I told him that neither would really be wasted, but it was, you know, he, it was sort of a, an awakening for him to realize that, you know, it might... You know that it might not transfer directly to the major. So, right. So how... and maybe yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say maybe some students were like me, and I just wanted to pick a major that didn't require calculus. So 
So I majored, <laughs> I, uh, majored in psychology because it was really statistics focused. And, you know, I think a lot of students are trying to figure that out. And, and um, you know, if you're weighing business, say, versus psychology, um, it, one might require calculus, one might require statistics, but then the other kind of X factor is what school are you going to? Because some business programs at a college may require di- uh, different requirements for math, you know, than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some are going to be much more rigorous than others. I think I've exactly. seen some where it might be college algebra is enough, and then others where they are going to expect a pretty, you know, calculus. So, yeah. Yeah. That's right. So, so how do students figure all this out? Like what, you know, let's, let's kind of imagine the student who um, is deciding between, say, you know, probably tentatively thinks business, but they're not mm-hmm. fully decided. So how do they figure out, and they think they want to transfer to their local state university, you know, and mm-hmm. it's sort of their first day, they're registering for classes. So, so where do they start in making sure they're going to be taking the right, the right courses? Sure. So, you know, mo- most community college students will speak with an advisor at the community college about their courses that, or their plan that they're going to take at the community college, and that will involve, you know, talking about transferring, um, you know, telling the advisor they're interested in business, interested in transferring to whatever college they want to go to, that can really help because, you know, especially with the major universities in the area, the community colleges oftentimes have agreements with those colleges. They usually um, have great websites or, like, handouts that the student can get that will just say, okay, if you're in business and you're going to state university, um, take these classes here, and this will work out really well for you. And that is really nice for the student because a lot of that can is just kind of laid out from previous sort of students that have um, gone before them. Um, now, we are finding that... Y- universities and colleges, there's a whole range of quality in terms of how um, up-to-date those agreements are, how accurate they are. Um, so if I was a student or a parent, I would be kind of double-checking everything and going to the university that um, the student wants to transfer to, kind of like from the horse's mouth, um, talking to admissions officers there. And if you know, we've heard cases where students basically won't take it, um, you know, won't be kind of fully trusting of the information unless it's coming from someone in the department or the department chair of the business program at the university that they want to transfer to. Um, so, you know, from a broader perspective, that's terribly inefficient, um, and we're working on with colleges to make make those processes more efficient. But I think right now, if I was trying to transfer this semester or next semester, that's what I would be doing. Mm-hmm. All right, so so even when you get the handout, even when it seems like there's a pretty clear articulation agreement, don't trust it 100%. Well, um, you could ask, like, when was this, when was this updated? Uh, most mm-hmm. recently, does this typically work out well? Um, so just kind of being a little critical and uh, being advocates for yourself, I think, um, would be good practices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And really just double-check with everything. So, I mean, here's the thing. When I, um, sometimes when I talk to students and, you know, advising them to question things even a little bit can sometimes seem really overwhelming for them. So, I mean, what do you say to students to kind of motivate them to, to take this process really seriously and do all the research that they need to do? Yeah, I mean, I would just say, um, you know, they're the consumer, and it's really about their time and money that they're putting into their degree and their education. And unfortunately, we're finding that a lot of transfer students, I mean, students in general, but in particular transfer students, are spending um, a semester or a a whole extra year um, extra on average to get their bachelor's degree, among the ones who successfully complete, you know, they're taking 12 or 15 additional credits on average. Some are taking 30 or 40 extra credits. Um, So it's really, we're talking about an extra year of your life, you know, an extra 10 grand or however much. I think the stakes are high, you know, in in, just in the next uh, five years of, you know, of of a student's life. So, um, I think that that would be kind of my approach to motivating the student. Mm-hmm. And then what are, what are some, I mean, what about if they just transfer after one year? Is that, can that be a workable solution? They probably lose fewer credits that way. Right, right. So, 
So I think what happens is that students are transferring at all different time points, like after one semester, after one year, after three years. There's really kind of myriad patterns of transfer in terms of timing. Um, it, we often think about the two plus two, right, two years at a community college, two years at a four-year. But the analysis we've done has shown that this is only like a small percentage, like, you know, 8% of successful transfers do that two plus two pattern. So a lot of students are transferring earlier. Um, some colleges are working on agreements where if I transfer early, I can uh, get an associate degree awarded to me automatically after being enrolled at the four-year college. People call that reverse transfer, so that's something to keep an eye out for. But yeah, like you alluded to, um, sometimes transferring earlier can be better for um, uh, making sure your credits count to your degree because you're taking uh, more classes at the four-year college where you're, they're awarding your degree. Um, although you do lose out on some of that financial benefit and, um, and you know, some of the preparation that can happen at the community colleges. So I think that's something that um, kind of students have to figure out if that makes sense for them. Um, and also, it, it also de depends on what program or major you want to do. Um, as a student, like some community colleges can't offer all of the like lab courses um, or computer science or the like the the sort of classes if they're uh, with more expertise. Uh, sometimes, depending on your environment, like urban urban or suburban community colleges have a really wide range of offerings. But if you're in a more rural area, that the community college might not offer the classes for uh, the major that students need. So transferring earlier might be a, a good option for them. Mm -hmm. uh, well, in the sciences in particular, I would mention just that, you know, thinking about, I've been focusing a lot on credit transfer, but the other things that are important to think about is, you know, what sort of um, really enriching learning experiences can students um, get at the community college before they transfer um, to kind of prepare them to be successful at the four-year college. Like some community colleges do learning communities. They might offer undergraduate research opportunities. Um, and that's something that we've seen uh, can be really helpful in preparing students for success at the four-year college uh, to start to get a sense of what it's like to be a student at a university. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to stress that there are some students where those two years at a community college are going to be such valuable growing time that even if they do lose a semester or even a year by transferring later, they're just going to be that much more successful when they are a transfer. And it strikes me that that's completely worth it. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, now, the transfer oh, students I worked with after they transferred at the University of Maryland were incredible. You know, they had been in, they had maybe been in community college for a few years, and they had an amazing experience, and, you know, kind of nothing could stop them once they got to the university. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll tell you, actually, I had some similar experiences when I was a transfer counselor, and, and Emily and I will definitely be talking about that some more. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, too, is that you talk about you know, talking to the colleges. One thing I wanted to emphasize is that students should also realize that different colleges will have different rules. So, like, if you're a student in Connecticut, um, which is where I'm based right now, and you're coming from Norwalk Community College, what Sacred Heart wants, what Fairfield University wants, and what University of Connecticut wants can all be really different things. Um, have you run into students having issues with that, kind of thinking they got the go-ahead from one school, so it's going to work for all schools? Yeah, I mean, I think that can be a misconception, but like I said, it, you know, transfer and getting your credits to count depends on two variables a lot of times, what your major is and what university you're trying to transfer to. And your major, you know, a major at this university is going to take different things than a particular major at another university. So, yeah, it really can vary. Mm -hmm. Now, just let's just say for the student whose parents are like, that's okay if you take some extra time. Um, you know, to get through college. Is there any downside to accruing extra units when you're at the community college once you transfer? I would, I think the primary, you know, the primary uh, downside is just it's extra time and money. Um, right. Yeah. But if you're, but if you've, you've accepted that, if for various reasons that's going to work out for you in your life, then that'll actually be fine. Right. Yeah. And, okay. and uh, you know, I think, I think we're seeing that, on average, students are, you know, taking maybe a semester more than they need in, in excess credits. But even students who started at a four-year college are taking extra credits than they need a lot of times. And these are just averages, so there's a wide range of student experiences in there. Um, so, you know, and sometimes that's 
trying to, students are trying to explore what their interests are, and that's a good thing. Um, from our perspective of thinking about policies and working with colleges, we just want to help colleges make it as clear, you know, crystal clear to students that if they are decided, this is the most efficient pathway to get to the degree. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That transparency is, I think, going to be better in any situation in terms of right. <laughs> which college you choose and uh, how you transfer and everything. So, um, All right. Listen, John, thank you so much. This is really helpful. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, everyone. So we'll now be taking a short break, and when we return, I'll be welcoming Emily Toffelmeyer, formerly of the USC Admission Office, who worked with plenty of transfer students during her time there. Thanks so much. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome, Emily. As I mentioned previously, Emily and I will be discussing how to choose between a community college or a four-year college. Emily, John has given us a lot of food for thought, and there are a lot of different variables that can come into play for a student who is choosing between a community college and a four-year university. So let's start by describing the kinds of students that we would see at our institutions and how we would advise them. Um, So, I mean, really from talking to John, it seems like there are sort of pluses and minuses, and it really depends on who the student is. And I sort of think of this as a student, um, the segment, like what you and I should really maybe be focusing on today um, when we're thinking about how does a student decide whether to attend a community college or a four-year college. Let's think about that average student in high school who can get into college but maybe not into the college of their choice because that's really who I end up talking to a lot about this. Um, you know, they want to know if they should go to a community college um, because they're definitely sure they're going to be transferring or would they be better off attending a four-year college and then transferring if assuming that they're trying to get into a more selective school. And just for our listeners, um, Emily and I won't be able to give you a definitive answer today because of the plus and minuses. Um, But, Emily, let's talk about your experience at USC. I mean, I was a high school counselor in Los Angeles, and there was definitely a really, really large USC or bus contingent where if they didn't get in, it was, you know, 
you know, the plan was to transfer without a doubt. So let's let's think of some different examples. One of the examples um, that comes to mind for me, and I definitely saw this more than once, was, you know, the smart kid, he had good test scores, but, you know, he had sort of Bs or even Cs in some cases. Um, you know, his grades were sort of mediocre for a highly selective school like USC, so even though his grades might have been sort of close to what would have been necessary, you know, he just he just wasn't going to get in. So what are, you know, how would you have advised that student if, you know, he applied, he didn't get in, and he came to see you and said, well, what do, what do I do now? Where should I go so I can transfer to USC? Sure, and, and I think I would always start off by telling the student, reassuring them that there's no preference for coming from a four-year versus coming from a community college. I mean, that was a common misconception. I would talk to students, and they would think, well, if I spend my first year at the University of Arizona, that's going to be more impressive than if I go down the street to Pasadena Community College, right? Um, and that wasn't the case. We really didn't have a preference for four-year versus community. So I would tell them that. Um, and then I think a lot of times it does come down to a family conversation about money and practicality and planning and, and things of that nature that aren't really the admission officer's business. It's something the family needs to decide themselves. Um, but I think in this type of situation where the student had a good test score and mediocre grades, um, you probably feel this way, too, that as an admission officer, that's kind of that's not something I love to see. That's not a great combination, um, and that usually was a cause for concern because it told me the student had a lot of natural intellect and ability, but maybe they were a little bit lazy or maybe they didn't have time management down or follow-through. So that sounds like the type of student who maybe needs a little more time to get their stuff together and get their time management skills going and prioritize their education. Um, but because of good test scores, I think this is a student who could have a solid shot at transferring to USC after a year or possibly two. Um, so I think for them, it might have just made sense to go to the local community college get straight A's. That's what I would expect. If you have a, a strong SAT, you should probably be getting straight A's at a community college um, and then to transfer in their first year and see how they do. Now, this is probably a student we would ask, though, for their second semester grades. So they might be conditionally admitted. We might say, hey, we're still considering you, but we got to see those spring grades and make sure you get above, say, a 3.5, and then you'll be admitted. So I think for that student, the community college might just be a smart, practical way to get to USC within a year. So a year was a possibility for USC, because I know for, say, the University of California schools, they needed transfers to stay for two full years. But USC, you'd take them after a year if they did well enough. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I'll say that I think it's probably that way for a lot of private universities. But I would get that question, especially from out-of-state families, who sometimes there's confusion from out-of-state families whether USC is a private institution or part of the University of California system. And that confusion exists even among community college students in California who maybe have not had a lot of exposure to college and are just learning about how the system works. Um, so, yes, we would have to clarify to them we're not a UC school and that you can transfer in your first year. Um, and we, if you transfer in your first year, we still wanted to see your high school grades and your SAT or ACT score. If you waited until the second year, we didn't ask for your standardized test scores. So I know the next type of student we're going to talk about, that might be the type of student who wants to spend a couple of years at another four-year or a community college before trying to transfer into a more highly selective school. Yeah, I think one of the things that I want to highlight here, um, just because it might have been missed, is that if you know, a student who wanted to transfer after just one year, the high school grades were still going to be looked at, and you were going to expect... Mm -hmm kind of a strong finish to high school, at least. Whereas, in my experience working with transfers, I was similar. After one year, you needed to have a decent, at least, finish to high school. If it was after two years, I could really sort of forgive those high school grades. You know, those high school grades mm -hmm. didn't matter anymore if I saw, you know, sort of a year and a half worth of good grades and knew that you were finishing, you were likely to finish up strong as well. Yeah, and it was really nice to see, too, if you had gone on to community college and you didn't just show up for your classes and go home, but instead maybe you joined some clubs or you were in the honors program at a community college or you got a part-time job or were still doing community service. Um, I think that makes you an even more appealing candidate because it shows not only are you going to school full-time and taking a full academic load, but you're also still 
increasing the level of involvement that hopefully you had already gotten started on in high school. Mm-hmm. And I think that's crucial. I think a lot of people sort of don't realize that activities are going to matter a lot at the college level as well. And And I think one of the downsides potentially to community colleges is that you have sometimes less involvement. I don't know... I don't have any studies saying that that's the case, but I can say that that's what I saw in my in, when I was working at University of Chicago and at Reed and at Whittier, is that often the transfers from community colleges had been less involved um, because, you know, it just was more of a commuter campus and there was sort of less mm-hmm. kind of positive peer pressure, fewer students saying, hey, I'm going to, you know, join this club, you should join too. There just was sort of less of that happening. Yeah, I think that's the trend. I think that's definitely really common is for community college students to have almost no activities on their application. But I know that it exists because the students who we would choose for our Transfer Amero scholarships, they had that type of involvement in space. I mean, they were in, you know, pre-med clubs, community service clubs, and they were peer tutors and teaching assistants, and maybe they worked. So I think the opportunities are there. I just think that just like John was saying, you know, when you're in community college, you have to be a self-advocate. Even when it comes to activities, you have to go seek it out. It's not going to fall into your lap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing I do want to clarify, and you mentioned work, which I'm really glad you did. If a student has to work financially, you know, and so they're really working full-time or something like that, then there's obviously going to be less pressure in terms of activities. Um, so, absolutely. you know, the work can fill in for the activities in that situation. They'll still, there will still be hope, though, to see some kinds of leadership or, or something like that. Did you, did you encounter that as well at USC, that you were hoping to see some way of distinguishing yourself within the work environment, if possible? Um, I think it's possible, but to be honest, you know, a lot of the students who were applying, they were, you know, 19 to 23, and they worked at maybe a restaurant or CVS, you know, a drugstore, something like that, and, and maybe sometimes they needed to shift manager, but because they were often working a little bit less full-time, they maybe weren't given the same um, opportunities to move up the ladder in that job. Um, so I think for me, it was simply enough to see they had a job, because I know that it is from personal experience, that it's really tough to work even, you know, 20 hours a week and take four or five classes a semester. So if they were able to get straight A's while also going into work, that for me was enough to convince me that they were probably going to be fine on our campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Well, what about, okay, so I think we've done a pretty thorough job talking about, let's say, the slacker kid, the smart kid with the mediocre grades. <laughs> but what about what about the kid who, you know, maybe has you know, a 2.5, but really worked as hard as they could for those grades. And their testing is below average for USC as well. How would you, and I know it can be hard to advise students honestly sometimes because you don't want to crush their dreams, but sort of what would you, if you could be 100% honest with that student sitting in front of you, what would you tell that student? Yeah, that's tough. I'm I'm a softie too, so I never wanted to tell a student, hey, maybe this isn't the university for you. But I do think, you know, since we're talking about full honesty here, that if you are already working your hardest in high school, you were going in to see the teacher and you were getting tutoring and you were really trying hard and you were still kind of like a B or C student in regular and honors courses, maybe you tried one AP and got a C in it, you know what, when you get to USC, you're going to have a really hard time. You're going to have a low GPA, and you're really going to struggle to keep up with the work. So maybe we just need to reconsider the type of school you're applying. Um, even if I said something like that to a student, which I normally didn't, um, you know how it is with the dream school. You said we were both high school counselors in Southern California, and people get really fixated on one particular school as their dream school. So I think for this student, what I might advise them to do is, you know, community college or four-year, either one is fine. But this is the type of student who I might encourage more to try out a four-year university where they've been admitted that's probably less selective than their dream school might be, um, to try it out, to move on to campus, to fully immerse themselves and engage academically and socially. And I think they'll be surprised that they might fall in love with that campus and want to stay there. Um, And if they don't, they can still try to transfer. I would recommend they probably try it after two years rather than one, just because they're going to be a stronger candidate with the more semesters of college under their belt. Um, But I would kind of hope that this student might just try college somewhere else and enjoy the experience so much that they wanted to stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I actually saw that. I mean, I still see that a lot. You know, students who don't get into a top choice, 
um, are considering a community college but decide to go to a four-year and then really fall in love and really make a place for themselves there. So that is a reason to choose a four-year school, and I always want to emphasize that. Did you witness something similar? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I feel like for some students, I don't know, the thing that you think you want in high school isn't always the thing that you actually want. So I think everybody who is now an adult knows that, and I think even current college students know that. So I think if a student just opens themselves up to another four-year experience, they're going to find that it's just as fulfilling as they thought maybe their dream school might be. And I think also we don't want to set anybody up for failure. Like I don't want to get a student fixated on a highly selective school and then have them finally get admitted and turn out to be a 2.0 student there because it's not going to look great for when you're applying for jobs right? when you're applying for grad school. So maybe you're just going to be a better fit academically somewhere else. Right. Well, and maybe also if you go to a community college and you don't do as well, um, then you're not going to be able to transfer anyway. I mean, that's something I would run into. Interestingly, I ran into it more at Reed, I think because people, when I worked at University of Chicago, I think people knew that we had really, really high standards. But at Reed, I think students sort of thought, oh, look at all the hippies on campus. They're not going to be demanding. <laughs> you know, and they'd, they'd, they'd have a modest program in high school. We wouldn't admit them. They'd go to community college. They'd continue to perform fairly modestly, and we'd continue to deny them. And it was, you know, I felt badly for them, but I was like, you're still not getting A's, and I told you you needed to get A's. So, yeah. So what about, um, yeah, I mean, you know, and I I kind of already mentioned this. I was going to use the example from University of Chicago of students selecting for, shooting for really selective colleges. Um, You know, I really would... You know, there is no disadvantage to a community college, but when I worked at University of Chicago, I did, because it was so hard to get in, I did usually recommend that students attend a four-year and try and fall in love with it, kind of realizing that most likely the transfer situation wasn't going to happen if the goal was to get into a Chicago or a Harvard or a Stanford or something like that. Sure, go ahead and take a Hail Mary pass, but it's such a Mm -hmm. tough thing to do that you really should invest yourself probably in a four-year institution if that's your ultimate goal. There's sort of no reason to not fall in love with a four-year institution in the meantime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So recently I was talking to the father of a high school senior the other day whose son, this is kind of another situation that I think of, um, this particular father, his son has a 2.0 GPA, uh, but decent test scores. But beyond that, um, what what I really noticed was that this son still hasn't woken up. You know, it wasn't a matter of a student coming in going, I know I blew it, but I'm awake now. His son still wasn't willing to take any initiative with his education. His parents asked him to research colleges, study for the SAT, you know, but he hadn't done anything. Um, and so it struck me that this, this, sig- this really signaled to me that even without the low GPA, the fact that he wasn't willing to, to make any sort of additional effort, that he wasn't ready for a four-year college. Um, and I kind of had to remind the father that going off to a four-year college, those grades were going to be on a permanent record. Maybe he needed time to grow up. Did you, um, mm-hmm. did you ever see that kind of situation, too? Yeah, when I was a high school counselor, I definitely saw that. And sometimes it took a little convincing of the parents because it was at an affluent public high school and there was, for some parents, a stigma attached to going to community college, which there should not be. Admission officers do not care about whether it was a community or four years. So I had to say that over and over. Uh, but I think with a student like this, it's not only is he going to mess up his permanent record and his transcript by getting low grades, but even just emotionally, maturity-wise, he just sounds like he maybe needs more time at home. I'd be concerned if he leaves the nest, not only is he going to not really do the work in his classes, but he might really easily get distracted by all this new independence that he has. You know, if he has a parent who's always reminding him of homework and checking the online grade reports and communicating with the teacher, that's stuff off the table in college. You're not checking grade reports. You know, professors tend to want to deal directly with the student and not really talk to the parents. So I'd be worried about sending this kid off and him just getting poor grades and not earning any credits or getting distracted. Not only is that marring his transcript, but it's honestly a waste of the parents' money. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, it's it's kind of funny because I um, I have a friend whose nephew went off to a really excellent small liberal arts college. He went there to play football, and then because of an injury, wasn't able to play, and so he just decided to not do anything. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but you know, we're now talking ten years ago, so you know, he sort of pulled himself out of it. But he literally had something like a one point for his. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think he, he. I don't think he got anything higher than a C minus, and mostly he got D's um, for that first semester. So, you know, he wasn't ready. And then with the, I think not only had his parents probably done too much for him, then he didn't have the structure of football and a coach telling him, you know, look, you need to keep your grades up or, or you're off the team. So it was just all over. Um, mm-hmm. So that was definitely a situation of a student who really should have been, who really should have attended the community college. I think. Yeah, he needed a little more more time to grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give some time to grow up. All right, well, I think that's it. So um, thanks so much, Emily. I really appreciate it. Okay. Listeners, stick stick around as I'll be talking next with Shannon Vasconcelos about scholarships with February and March deadlines. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Shannon Vesconcelos will now be discussing scholarship applications with late deadlines. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Sally. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm great, thank you. So, Shannon, most students applying to highly selective colleges have submitted their admissions and financial aid applications at this point. So while students are awaiting decisions, is this a good time to maybe apply for scholarships? Yes, it's the perfect time. And, yeah, if folks have not submitted their financial aid applications, that's definitely something that they want to hop on top of right away. Um, We've got 
financial aid applications, the majority of which I think are coming up in uh, in probably February, maybe into March. Uh, I know folks started doing their financial aid applications earlier this year in October, so a lot of folks are done. But if you're not done, do that first. But then once every all the admissions and financial aid applications are in, it's a perfect kind of black hole time when you're not doing anything else to really dig into the private scholarship search process. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and when I was a high school counselor, I was sort of impressed with how many kind of small local scholarships had deadlines in February and March. You know, they'd contact exactly. me and let my students know, and it wasn't too late. So Exactly. And, yeah, a lot of people don't even start thinking about uh, applying for these scholarships till it's summertime, and they get their bill due for the first semester, and then they ask me how to find <laughs> scholarships, and I have to tell them, you've missed the boat on a lot of them because the deadlines were back in the winter. So now is a perfect time to hop on top of them. Mm-hmm. All right, so you provided me with a list of scholarships, so let's go ahead and go through some of them. What about the Edison Park Community Council Scholarship Award? Yeah, so this is a great one for our listeners out there in the Chicago area. Um, and, you know, this is just an example of kind of a local community-based scholarship. Happens to have a March 1st deadline, um, you know, and it's available to folks in that Edison Park um, area. Um, so folks, folks out there in the Chicago area, Definitely give this one um, a search on your favorite search engine. Um, but I just wanted to call it out as just kind of an example of, of a local community-based scholarship. And like you mentioned when you were a high school counselor, there's tons of these out here. So if you're not in Chicago, that's okay. Check in with your own high school guidance counselor uh, about what kind of uh, scholarship opportunities are available in your area. Uh, another one I think that I, I sent to you, Sally, was a New Jersey Credit Union League's Youth Involvement Board scholarship. For the, so that's for folks in the New Jersey area. Um, you do have to be a member of the credit union, um, but if you're not, you know, you can join. Um, that also has a March deadline. Uh, and that one, actually, I particularly like because they are, they actually award eight different scholarships. Four of them go to, to um, students attending four-year schools, and four of them are specifically reserved for students attending community college. So that ties right into your last segment. So if you're attending a community college and you think, you know, I'm not going to win this scholarship, you know, my school's not that expensive, or maybe I didn't get, you know, straight A's in high school, that's okay. There are actually some scholarships out there specifically for you. And again, if you're not in Chicago, you're not in New Jersey, check in with your guidance counselor, check in your own local community. There are tons of scholarships out there. Yeah, I'll just give a shout out. When I was a um, college counselor at Chadwick School in um, Palos Verdes, near Torrance in Southern California, um, the Rotary Club and the National Charity League both had local, their local chapters both had scholarships that they'd maybe get 20 students applying to. So the odds, the money wasn't as high, but the odds of a student getting them were so much higher than these national scholarships that you, exactly. that you hear about. Exactly, yeah. And I would say that's my biggest piece of advice for folks pursuing private scholarships. I would say, first of all, the scholarships from the colleges themselves are actually your best chance at big money. Uh, but then as you look towards private scholarships, the more narrow the competition, the better your chances. If you find some big national scholarship online, you're probably competing with thousands of other kids and you're most likely not going to win it. But these local community scholarships, much less competition, you stand a great chance of actually winning the money. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, so another one is um, I'm going to pick this one out ahead of of uh, some of the others you gave me, Colleges That Change Lives Scholarship. And I'm picking this out like to give it. I Yes. <laughs> I love that one because I attended Reed College, and that is, right. uh, Reed is one of the colleges that change lives. So tell us about that scholarship. Yeah, so that's another one. has a March 1st deadline. Um, it's a $1,000 scholarship, and they actually give a few of them. Uh, and this is for specifically for students who are going to attend one of the quote-unquote, colleges that change lives. Um, Folks who are regular listeners to our show have probably heard about those colleges before. It started out as a book. Uh, Now it's a website. Um, But it's kind of a listing of um, basically generally small liberal arts colleges uh, that don't perhaps have the kind of the big brand name that you hear about a lot in the media, um, but are really, really great smaller liberal arts universities, great, great choices for a lot of kids. Um, so if you're thinking of maybe attending one of those colleges, including possibly Reed, this is, is a scholarship specifically for you. And if you're kind of a younger um, student or a parent of a younger student who hasn't really dug too much into the college search process yet, uh, I definitely encourage you to check out that Colleges That Change Lives um, 
website because they, they have a lot of great information on a lot of great colleges, kind of hidden gems that you might not know a ton about. Uh, but can provide a really, really great education. Also, in terms of scholarship funding, sometimes it's those hidden gem schools that provide the most scholarship funding because they have to work a little bit harder than kind of the biggest brand name schools to recruit students. So if you're in the market for scholarship funding, that's kind of an extra reason to check out these really great schools. Mm-hmm. Good. And what about the Random House um, Creative Writing Competition? Yeah, that's actually another local one. This one is specifically for students attending a New York City public high school. Um, this one has a deadline coming right up on us, actually, February 3rd. Um, and the, you have to submit a piece of creative writing to win this particular scholarship. So, and that can, the, you know, read about it, you know, search for the Random House Scholarship online, but it can be personal essay, poetry, drama, graphic novel, all sorts of create different creative types of writing. So this is great for a, a kind of very creative New York City student. And it adds a little bit more to the application process um, than kind of some of the other local scholarships that might be kind of easy to apply for. This one is a little bit more challenging to apply for because you have to submit this really great piece of creative writing. But that's just another sort of tip for the scholarship search process. The more extensive the application, the harder it is to apply for. That's actually maybe more reason to actually pursue that scholarship as opposed to a scholarship that you know just re- requires you know you to complete a one-page form. That type of scholarship is going to get thousands of applicants. Again, scholarships that re- require you to work a little bit harder. That's going to weed a lot of people out of the applicant pool, and again, you may stand a better shot of actually winning the money. Mm-hmm. You know, that being said, if you've never done creative writing before, you're unlikely to win this one. So think about exactly. it in terms of, you know, find those scholarships that are a fit for you. Exactly. All right, so we right. just have two minutes left, but what about the Hub Shout Internet Marketing Scholarships? So that's for continuing college students who happen to be you know, studying marketing, have an interest to go into it internet marketing. Um, And what I wanted to really kind of call out here is make sure you continue to search for scholarships as a continuing student. A lot of kids think about it, you know, as they are seniors in high school going into their freshman year and then never pursue scholarships ever again. There's lots out there for students who are continuing college students. And once you've actually declared a college major, you're kind of on a a a kind of future career path, more opportunities become available to you um, because lots of professional organizations offer scholarships for students actually going into that field. So remember to keep looking throughout your college years. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I'd never thought of that. It, it, It always felt like sometimes even funding would dry up for transfer students. But so it's good to know that there are additional scholarships out there. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's all we have time for today. So thank you so much, Shannon. You're very, very welcome. Pleasure to be here. And thank you um, also to my guests, Emily and John. Um, Before I go, though, I want to tell you about our show next week. Beth Heaton will be returning as the host, and she'll be discussing the very interesting topic of what you should do if college is not the right next step for your child. And obviously any of you who are even not sure about this um, should be tuning in. She'll also be discussing financial aid appeals with a former financial aid officer. So definitely tune in for that one. Um, And finally, I want to remind you, every single show that we do is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download them for free on iTunes. If you check out the archives, you'll find our shows featuring the Schools Out and Schools In segments, which begin on June 30th. And if you like our show, please be sure to rate us on iTunes. It only takes a moment of your time, and it's absolutely free. Last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, so please check us out and also tell your friends about us. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 